0: If you remember, uh, <laughs> in September, September. <laughs> I love the uh, September. We're not saying yeah. the no urge. <laughs> yes, sorry. I blew the joke. It was not November, it was September. Earth, Wind, and Fire is great. Um, it, was less... <laughs> it was September. It was September. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man with a birthmark that looks remarkably like Mr. Belvedere, my brother Mike.
1: Hey, and, we, and Mark is willing to buy you a t-shirt if you can guess where on my body the Mr. Belvedere birthmark is. All you got to do is DM your, your guests, okay, at Royals Weekly on Twitter. DM DM him your guests, and, and he's going to buy somebody a free t-shirt if they guess where on my sensual body, my Mr. Belvedere, Uh, birthmark is.
0: It's gross, I'll promise you that. It is gross. Just a (laughs) quick little hint, it's gross. Um, Anyway, on on this week's episode, we'll review a hot week from the boys in blue, discuss the monumental news that Dayton Moore was fired, and preview the last full week of baseball from the Kansas City Royals. I don't know if you've noticed, it might be sounding a little echoey in here, that's because I am in my apartment, which I have now moved out of, so there's nothing else in this room besides the laptop I'm recording on, this microphone, and the chair I'm sitting in, basically. Uh, So sorry for the very plain background. We'll get to more exciting backgrounds in the future. But Mike, how are you feeling about the last nine games of the season that we have left?
1: I'm all jacked up, man. Like, my mind is broken. That's largely because of a messed up weekend in football for, for you and I. You know, we're fans of Northwest. They lost a game that doesn't happen very often. We're fans of Mizzou they mm-hmm. they mazedood that was pretty common but it was almost like comical no, that's common and then the chiefs just decided to like one up them by crap in the bed train spotting style and uh and so and, and then as that's happening the royals score 11 runs in an inning <laughs> it's like I, I had to text you and be like are you seeing this man this is unreal they were down 11 to 2 <laughs> it, it was a crazy weekend (laughs) and on top of that like you forget Dayton Moore the Dayton Moore era is over (laughs) it's like what the hell did that happen when was that three five weeks ago what's going on
0: now yeah no that was this week um but yeah it has been a wild week for football for those following hopefully some of you were able to catch the Royals games that have been happening because they've been playing really well lately winning games and then today's game was just off the chain insane and so they go out and it looks like a ho-hum oh they gave up a whole bunch of runs they're down big And then they go off and score 11 runs in an inning and they end up winning the game. And so, yeah, it's been a wild trip for the Royals here. They got only a few more games left, but those are all on the road. Let's get to some baseball from last week. We usually start the segment with roster news, but once again, it was a very slow week for roster news. There was only one transaction and it was to bring Max Castillo up. He pitched today, did not pitch all that well. And then they sent Colin Snyder down as a corresponding move. He pitched like garbage yesterday. And as a result was sent down today, that was the only move that was really made. So we can really move on from roster news pretty quickly because that's all that's it. No more roster news. The Royals were muy caliente this week. Is that, is that, am I pronouncing that correctly? I think so.
1: I think that is um, that's it. mostly Perfect. on
0: the back of some very solid pitching performances until today, Brady Singer and John Heasley were nails in their starts. The bullpen has been rock solid with guys like Dylan Coleman and Scott Barlow and Jose Quas, Mike's favorite Royals relief pitcher. They've been standing out. Mike, what have you noticed about from
1: this team's successful week from the Royals this week? Uh, and actually, I mean, the, the pitching success was great because I'm, you know, I'm a big John Heasley supporter and to continue to see Brady Singer look like he's going to be possibly a star in this league on the mound is great, but it was the success from the young hitters that really got me going. The, the Vinnie Pasquantino, Bobby Witt Jr. Show, Salvador Perez was really good this week too, um, but you know, just seeing those guys hit. Oh, and Michael Massey had a really good game today as well. So seeing those guys hit is really what gets me juiced. I'm counting on Singer. I think John Heasley's going to be a guy, a 4-5 guy in this rotation next year. And if he is, and we continue to see this type of John Heasley, that's exciting for me. So you throw that on top of the Dayton more News, this is a really exciting week for me. I was, I was pretty happy with the Royals this week.
0: Yeah, the Royals are playing for nothing. These games are pretty much meaningless, but it is fun to watch them do well. It is fun to watch them go out and especially the young guys who, you're, you know, we're going to be counting on in the future to watch them play well, to watch Heasley play well, to watch Singer continue to play well. And then add on the news that, hey, change is coming from this team. That's kind of an exciting thing to think about. You know, we watched some good performances on the on the field this week. A lot of them from young players. We're gonna we're gonna give you two young players for our strong performers this week. Mike, tell us uh, about a shortstop who had a a little bit of a resurgence defensively and really played well offensively
1: this week too. Yeah, Bobby Witt Jr. really looked good offensively. I don't know that his approach necessarily showed any real improvement this week. I think that's more of an adjustment that's going to have to be made in an off season. But he went nine for twenty this week. He had three doubles and for RBI. And I think that's before you take into account today's game where he also had multiple hit game with another double. Um, and so, yeah, he, he looked really good this week, the Bobby Witt jr. That you want to see when you look at his raw numbers, they're going to look pretty good for the, for the season with the plus you know, 25 plus steals to the 20 plus or 25 plus home runs, uh, 80 plus RBI. You know, he, he looks, those raw numbers look really good. His, his OPS actually looks okay compared to league average, which is, you know, uh, almost right at 700. He's at about 720 something, I think, or 750, somewhere in there for his OPS. And so it, it looks good. But when you start to look at some of the more advanced stuff, that you notice there's places for improvement. But it was really good to see Bobby Witt Jr. and, and it is every week that he has a week like this. Uh, let's just, just start. I'd like to see him sure up that approach a little bit more. Swing less, really, is the, I think kind of the key for him. It's just going to be to swing less. Um, but the weeks when and avoid those long stretches when he's not hitting anything, but good week from Bobby this week. And it kind of connects with the guy that you're going to talk about, because a lot of times the guy you're going to talk about was driving him in. So. Yeah. I put out
0: a, a fairly significant Twitter thread this week on Bobby Wood jr's offense. And it really just took, comes down to what you said, swinging less, swinging less at stuff outside the zone. He's like 14th percentile in chase rate. That's not good at all. Um, just swinging and missing less too. I mean, I think with his hit tool as it is, which is probably like 50-55 grade, nothing special when it comes to his hit tool, he's probably never going to hit more than 275 as a batting average, but to get there, he also needs to just take more walks. And to take more walks, he needs to stop singing swinging early in counts at pitches outside the strike zone. And so, you know, shore up that approach. If if it gets better, if it right now he's got about a 40-45 grade approach, if it gets to 50, He's an 800 OPS guy. If it gets to 55, he's an 850 OPS guy. If it gets to 60, he's a 900 OPS guy. And then you're talking about a true superstar uh, offensive player, Bobby Wade Jr. Hopefully we get to that point. And hopefully it's my guy, Vinny Pasquantino, the guy I'm talking about for my strong performer, who keeps hitting him in for the next decade, hopefully. Uh, Pasquantino just was on fire this week. Seven for 16, One double, one home run, four walks, no strikeouts. I believe those numbers were before today's game. Again, the game didn't finish until like right as we started recording. Two hits today, too. And he had two hits today. Yeah, it just was really on fire today or this whole week. So, yeah, great numbers from Pasquantino. It's great to see him in the lineup and having some consistent success. It makes it seem like he maybe has the chance to hit the ground running and have a full season of really solid offensive baseball in the middle of that lineup, you know he's going to hit like three or four for them next season, and he'll be in there every single day if he can produce as he's been producing so far this year. Whereas, you know, yeah, I think he's got like an 820 OPS. Like yeah, his, his OPS is like 825 right now, which is really great. So great to see that from Vinny Pasquantino. Love to see it. Hopefully it keeps, keeps doing it moving into next year. Not everyone was stellar this week. The guy who came up for today's start. Did not look great, Mike. Tell us about Max Castillo and the week, week, uh, week he had.
1: Yeah, and, and Castillo's another guy that I'm really hoping is, gets a look for the four or five spot next year. He does have experience in the bullpen with Toronto, but I'd like to see him as a starter. Today was not his shining showcase for that four and five spot for next year. Uh, four innings pitch, six earned runs, four walks, and four strikeouts. Uh, did not look very good today in a spot start for the Royals. I'm hoping he gets maybe, is he going to get one more in? Do you think he probably won't? Willie he's probably done um, since he's on the he back. He would get end once more
0: through. The, well, yeah, but he would, you yeah, know, no, cause one, there's nine games left. He, he would get one more. He's got
1: one more. Yeah. yeah right. um, I think, if they like, I think, him up and he keeps doing it. I, right. I think they're going to, cause I think, I think they're going to try and spread the rest of those guys out. So I don't think they yeah, want right. him pitching every fifth day to end the year. So I think Castillo is going to get one more and i i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what he looks like in that one cuz this was not a good one for him
0: it was really that 5th inning that got him he like walks the world in yeah. the 5th inning ends up walking a run in and then you know they bring in uh what's his name garrett Amir Garrett mm-hmm. who gives up a bunch of runs and that was that was the start of um seattle's big big inning and so you yeah. know uh rough rough outing for castillo but uh we've seen better from him and hopefully we can do, we'll see better from him in the future as well it'll be really interesting to see after this offseason if they get a new pitching coach in here which they absolutely should and you know somebody it'll be interesting to see for all these guys like who who meshes well with that new pitching regime and maybe takes a step forward and that's the big question i think uh, after this offseason will be like who are the guys who this new pitching regime be it pitching coach or pitching coordinator or whatever are going to have a big impact on I'm talking about a guy who did not have a big impact this week. He went one for 17 with four strikeouts, no walks, and no extra base hits. And that's Michael A. Taylor. Rough week for him. Another guy who we've been saying it week after week, which is like, boy, there's some lost value there. They could have traded him back when he was at his offensive peak. They chose not to. And now he has (whistles) come down to earth a bit. Um, We'll see what happens to him in the offseason. Right now, he's not playing as much as maybe he was pre-All-Star game. And it makes you wonder, like, does this out? Does he have a place in this outfield moving forward? Like, Drew Waters looks like he's maybe starting to cement himself as a major league hitter. You know, uh, if, if they want Edward Olivares Nate in Eaton this outfield, which I'm guessing they really do. You know, and then Melendez is always going to need a place to play, too. And so Nate Eaton, Melendez, Olivares, Drew Waters, Kyle Isbell is probably going to make, you know, the team moving forward. So we'll see on that because his defense is really good, you know. It's just—it's a big question. What is Michael A. Taylor on the Royals in 2023? With all these other guys, they either need to be seeing and getting playing time from, or just better than Michael A. Taylor.
1: Got to keep a spot for Ryan O'Hearn in there, of course. Yeah. Of course, that might be the. <laughs> Got to l- keep Ryan O'Hearn. We're in not gonna, We roster. may not have the opportunity to, to get Ryan O'Hearn jokes in there anymore with Dayton I know, Moore being uh, gone and no longer able to give him a spot.
0: I will <laughs> give up my Ryan O'Hearn Thanks. and Hunter Dozier jokes. If it just means somebody comes in here and gets them <laughs> off the team. that's i will give those up. Uh,
1: please. Hey, they please. were big today.
0: Both multiple hits yeah. today. I know. Look at Breakup, Ryan <laughs> O'Hearn, and Hunter Dozier. I swear. Um, it's weird. I, when I started looking at themes this week, I, I was going to choose between two, right? I had Vinny Pasquantino is a difference maker as one, and Edward Olivares is a different difference maker as the other. <laughs> and so I decided to go with Olivares just because I feel like it's easy to forget him somehow, even though he's been like this really consistent hitter for the Royals all year. He seems to get lost in the discussion of that outfield shuffle, but it is a marked difference. When he got back in the lineup, their offense started producing more runs consistently. Now Pasquantino started taking off at roughly the same time, but Edward Olivares, man, the dude just hits all the time. Line drives all the time from Edward Olivares he got tons of plate coverage. I just love watching him hit. He is a difference maker in this lineup. And at this point, I think you have to pencil him in as a starter next season. I mean, he's just been too effective
1: offensively for the Royals not to pencil him in when he's healthy, especially the other big thing. He is right-handed in a lineup filled with lefties and he hits the crap out of the ball. So pencil him in as your left fielder, get him some work in the outfield because I know he's not great out there. But let him break up the Pasquantino. I mean, it's probably going to be Pasquantino and then Sal, more than likely. But it'll it'll allow you to break up some of those lefties when it's you know Massey and Isbel and and Melendez and all these left-handed guys. You know, it gives you a chance to chop some of those things up. And you're right. You know, he may never walk as much as you want him to, but does it matter when you hit the ball as hard as he does consistently? No, like. He's 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 a real spark plug, and we forget about him because of the injuries this year. And then last year they wouldn't really give him a shot. So, you know, I I'm all for the Edward Olivares thing. I'm glad you didn't go with Pasquantino because he's part of my theme for the week. The one two punch is nice to see, you know. And that is when I say one two punch, I'm talking Bobby Witt Jr. to Vinny Pasquantino. We saw a lot of it this week where Pasquantino was the one driving him in, and. Boy, if you can get a situation where maybe it's even Melendez leading off, if that's what you like, he struggled leading off a little bit this week. But if that's, if you you can get those guys on base and then have Pasquantino as your run producer, because Bobby is just so fast, you know, like watching him run around the bases when Pasquantino's hitting is pure joy in the game of baseball and a one-two punch like we haven't seen since maybe Johnny Damon and Jermaine Dye or Johnny Damon and Carlos Beltran, you know, some, Th- those things you know that that's set up really we haven't seen kind of that in a long time so that's good stuff
0: yeah here's a I'll float our name for in case uh, somebody wants to move Melinda's out of that leadoff spot Edward Olivares right he was successful in the leadoff spot when he was there earlier this year maybe he gets a look not traditional because he doesn't take a lot of pitches because he's not a guy who will walk a bunch but it's be interesting to see I, I mean I'm okay with Melinda's up there for
1: now but you know uh all of our us might be worth I, a shot. Honestly, I would love if, if Drew waters had just a little bit better approach, I would love him in that spot. Yeah. You know, that makes just sense. cause he's a switch hitter. He can run a little bit. He walks now, like Definitely. I would have loved him, but I don't know if he'll ever have the approach quite a quite good enough approach or quite the OBP that you want the on base ability uh, in the, the, that, that top spot. But that would be really cool.
0: It's really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and lets us know that we're doing something right and you want us to produce more content. Plus, Mike, Mike's gout flares up if we don't get the positive reviews. You don't want him to be limping around like you can't even move. Like, Give him those positive subscribes. <laughs> give him those positive reviews. He'll love it. It's free. It takes very little time to send to write a review or to give a thumbs up or whatever. But it does us a world of good. So please go out and do that for us. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're nearing 1,000 followers on Twitter. We're hoping to get there. So go out and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, We post a ton of additional analysis. As I said earlier, I posted a big, long thread on Bobby Witt Jr. earlier this week. Uh, So get out there and interact with us on social media as well. Keep coming back. Subscribe, rate, and review. I know it happened almost a week ago now, but we have to talk about it. We have to talk about Dayton Moore being fired. John Sherman ended the Dayton Moore era in Kansas City on Wednesday, September 21st. We certainly will remember the 21st of November.
1: little Earth, Wind, and Fire joke for you. Anybody
0: get that? Or did I say? Oh, see, I blew the joke, too. Do you remember? Uh, (laughs) In September. September. I love the Uh, September. We're not saying the no errs. Yes, sorry. I blew the joke. It was not November. It was September. Earth, (laughs) Wind, and Fire is great.
1: Um, It was September.
0: (laughs) It was September. Turns out it was not November. It was September. Okay. Moore led the Royals front office for 16 years, a stretch which saw extremely high highs and low lows. Obviously, he helped construct a team that brought two AL pennants to Kansas City and a World Series win. He also oversaw many non-competitive seasons in Kansas City, including this one, a season many had higher hopes for. Mike, let's start with the basics. Do you think this was the right move for Sherman and the Royals to fire Dayton Moore? Of course I do. And I think from our episode, was it last week or two weeks ago? You mean when I accused him of being a dictator, a North Korean dictator?
1: <laughs> yes, that. I don't know um, what you're talking about. The, yeah, that I could, uh, that, that's where I, you can't keep, uh, well, they always say, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's exactly this. You can't keep doing what you've been doing and expect different results, right? And I don't know that, you know, 10 years of not being any good is worth 10 or 15 years is worth two years of, of success. I don't know if that's necessarily the model that John Sherman wants. Obviously it isn't, but I don't know if it's the model that Kansas city wants. We want to be consistently excited about a team. If that means that, you know, they're making the playoffs consistently, or at least in the playoff hunt consistently, I think we'll take that. If that means that, you know, it may take a little while to win world series. Um, I know Jeffrey Flanagan came out and was like, well, no small market team ever does this. Yeah, but the Rays are competitive every year. Mm -hmm. You know, they're a small market team. There are small market teams that might not be winning World Series, but they're competitive every year. You know, and the Royals can't sustain. I mean, here's here's a great example. They were talking about contracting this team at Mm -hmm. one point. They were so bad. Okay. or relocating like what what's what's to say that doesn't happen if you go another 10 years without any winning baseball how about this just be competitive guys yeah and be competitive and you couldn't do that under the Dayton Moore model which is suck forever and pick in the top five all the time and then for two years you get to your window is two years like now that ain't it
0: yeah and a lot of times postseason success is luck based it's like so imagine Carlos the ball doesn't go off Carlos Correa's glove in that game six against the Astros or whatever, we're not world series champs. Like it just, a lot of it is fluky and luckish, you know, like imagine, you know, the ball is different in the, in the, you know, 2014, uh, world series, you know, Crawford drops the ball or whatever. And then Gordon rounds home and gets or rounds third and gets home. You know, it's all real fluky a little bit in the playoffs, you know, it's luck based So what you want to do is give yourself as many chances as you can maximize your chances, to maximize exactly. your opportunities there, right? Like Dayton Moore needed to be fired in part because there are very obvious changes that need to take place with this organization, both in the personnel doing the coaching and developing and also in the process, right? Sam McDowell had a great piece in the Kansas city star on how part of the problem with Dayton Moore was the process of, being utilized. Those changes needed to be made and they weren't going to be made under Dayton Moore, right? Like he's too loyal to his guys. He's too, you know, invested in this old way of thinking. Changes weren't going to be made that needed to be made. And so I'm all for it. In my mind, it's like, yes, this change is needed, not just because, you know, Dayton Moore hasn't had a lot of success or whatever, but also because he's unwilling to change. And so, in order to get the changes in place that need to be done, like a new pitching coach, a new manager, a new pitching development, guys, we have to make that. We have to make the Dayton Moore change first because he wasn't willing to do those sorts of changes, in my mind. If he had been willing to, he would have already done them, I think. Like Cal Edred would have lost his job a year ago, at least, if Dayton Moore were willing to make that change. But clearly, he wasn't. And he kept coming out and saying things like, We believe in Cal and you know, it's like, well, what do you expect, man? If, if this is your attitude, if your attitude is we're not going to change the thing that obviously needs to be changed, how are you going to keep your job as a a team president, basically, you know, whatever, as the guy who runs a baseball team, you know? Um, I do want to be as fair as possible to Dayton Moore because I think his legacy in Kansas city is not cut and dry. It, It is complicated. It's complex and nuanced. And so, I want to talk a little bit about what his strengths were as an executive in Kansas City with the with the Royals. Mike, so what do you think were his strengths as an executive in Kansas City?
1: Well, before I jump into that, I think in like 10 years or 15 years, I think we're going to think of his legacy as the two World Series runs and all that. We won't think really anything negative about Dayton Moore in 10 or 15 years. Maybe it'll take 20. I don't know. He'll come back for reunions of those teams and whatnot, and everybody will cheer him, and that's cool. I think his the best legacy of him as an executive has been the stuff that he's done in the community. He created the urban urban youth Academy, kind of a rehash of something that was done with, for the Royals in the seventies and eighties. Um, his work with the Negro leagues baseball museum has been fantastic. Dayton Moore, There isn't a better executive than Dayton Moore in the community. There really isn't. He's a, a really good dude. Apparently who, who supports those things financially. He gets other people to go out and support them. He's, he's all about that stuff. And that is awesome. The treatment of minor league players was exemplary during COVID and all that stuff. He's always been loyal to, to players and, and somebody put it out on uh, Twitter after he was fired that I'd love to see him become the, the, the uh, commissioner of major league baseball. And I, I tweeted back like that can never happen because Dayton Moore loves players too much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he, he He's
1: all about treating those guys with respect, treating them fairly, paying them when they're not even working, things like that. And so, um, he, his legacy, I think as an executive will long be remembered for those things. And I think over time we'll forget about, you know, the massive amount of, massive number of losing seasons, uh, and start to think, okay, we're going to focus on the positives of Dayton more. Uh, it's easy to look at the negatives now because they're right in our face and they're happening before our eyes.
0: Right. I do think we need to acknowledge the baseball related things that he did for this team that really helped well, create those World Series teams, but also have sort of helped them just as an organization. And the one that I want to point to is rebuilding the international scouting infrastructure for the Royals, right? For years, the Royals were sort of mired in a very depressed, they they basically were way behind the rest of Major League Baseball when it came to international scouting. And that was Moore's expertise with the Atlanta Braves. They brought him in and his first thing was to sort of build up the international scouting infrastructure with the Royals. And so now they have strong ties in Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, all the even far flung places like Korea and Japan and things like that. The Royals are, have a presence when it comes to scouting players in those areas. And as a result, you've seen, you know, tremendous international signings and players for the Royals. You had your Ventura, you had Salvador Perez, you had Kelvin Herrera, you had a whole bunch of people, successes, stories in international scouting for the Royals that probably wouldn't have happened had he not built up the infrastructure necessary to find good international players. And so that's something that I think just for the baseball team, he maybe will be low key. Nobody will really probably bring it up when it comes to in comparison with his community work and things like that. But it's one of those things that is really, really important that he did for this team when it was just really, really, really bad shape in a dumpster fire in 2006 when he took over.
1: Yeah, and let's let's be let's give an honest assessment here. We had maybe the worst run farm system in Major League Baseball prior to him showing up, and he turned it into one of the best. Not just with the international uh, infrastructure that he put in place, but because he said his background is in scouting, and that is his thing. And he said we're going to scout and draft players, and had some success with that. He just it's really hard today when everybody else is doing it one way with more accurate information and better data, and you aren't accepting those kind of things you're left behind. And, and that's going to be what happens. And that's ultimately the reason why he's gone. I mean, and John Sherman came out and said it to his credit. He wasn't like dancing around it. It was like, Oh, he didn't say, Oh, we're going in different directions. He came out and said, we haven't done enough of this. We need to do more of this.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that 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 is ultimately the reason for his firing, a resistance to change, which is actually pretty common at the major league level. I mean, you see organizations all the time where guys, I, I think Joe Madden is a very interesting example of this, where like he was at one time seen as this cutting edge coach and then time passed. And now he's seen as this guy who's making really weird decisions. Same with Tony La Russa, same with, you know, it's a thing that happens a lot in major league baseball and professional sports where you see people have a little bit of success doing a particular thing. And then in their minds, that means that that thing can be successful forever and they don't change with the times. And then ultimately they got to go, you know, like he, I think is a textbook example of that. Dayton Moore is a textbook example of that. The time started to change. It all became data driven player development, data driven scouting. Every team has a model and that sort of thing. And he didn't want to give up the, the personal element of scouting and things like that. And you know, obviously all teams have some sort of marriage of the two, but he wanted to lean so heavily into scouting and things like that. And, you know, in today's world, you need to be much more focused on that, which is data-driven, all the sort of analytics that we have tools for. You have to be able to have a literacy in those and understand their impact and listen to them. I mean, there are a lot of people in the industry who are like, no, the Royals have a great R&D department. They do stuff with analytics. The question then becomes like, are they not basing their decisions then? Do the top line decision makers listen to those analytics guys? Are they actually involved in the important conversations? Are they leading certain things? Because if they're not, then you end up in a place where the Royals are. If they are, you end up where the Tampa Bay Rays are. With like always on the cutting edge, always knowing what they're doing next, always having guys come up and be successful. That sort of thing with the Tampa Bay Rays, you see a consistency of plan and of, of – sort of philosophy towards the way you develop and scout and draft and sign and
1: all that sort of thing. Yeah. And we've, we see it here in our organization too, though. We see it here in our organization as well with Drew Saylor on the hitting side. Like they're using that data in a, in a comprehensive way to develop plans for these minor league hitters that they then implement. It's not like rocket science here. People like they use that data, they use it effectively and they've churned out guys who are coming to the major leagues and contributing right away. That's not an accident. You know, my, the thing that I have here in the rundown is evolve or die. That's how it goes. Like you can't continue doing the same crap over and over again and think I'm going to stay ahead of the curve, especially, especially when you're a small market team, you have to Evolve. There is no, you can't pay your way out of bad decisions or bad development or bad drafts. You can't do that like the Yankees can, the Dodgers can, who the Dodgers do it better than anybody else. But those big money teams can a lot of times buy their way out of bad mistakes or drafting mistakes or development mistakes or whatever. The Royals can't do that. And so they're going to have to make a change. And uh, yeah, I'm completely happy with that idea. You know what else? There's just kind of snuck into my brain does this mean we're going to get different announcers
0: i i i wondered that myself when i heard the uh the announcement i don't know we'll talk about that at a different time i don't want i don't ever
1: wish anybody losing their job but i'd be interested to hear some <laughs> <announcers>. <laughs> just a thought just a just thought, a thought. <laughs> um so this
0: is where we're at the question is where do we go from here uh jay chipicola will take over for the time being but does he stick as the royals president of baseball operations mike or will Sherman go looking for a different one? Should, and should he? That's sort of another element. Well,
1: I – I, I, yeah. And then there's been a lot of debate over this, over like, hey, how can you keep Piccolo when he's a Dayton Moore mentee? When he was, you know, groomed and, and brought up and under Dayton Moore's wing for so long, um, how can you keep him? Well – the reason I think why John Sherman's comfortable keeping him is because JJ Piccolo has jumped on board with a lot of the data-driven stuff, including bringing in Drew Saylor. That was his, his move. Um, and I think Piccolo is really wanting to adopt that thing. Another thing that I think is important to, to kind of talk about here is how transactional are they going to be moving forward? Dayton Moore was not ever, you know, you and I have talked about the swing, the misses from not being transactional, the value lost, all that sort of stuff. I don't know where Pocolo lands on that sort of stuff, but I would hope that he understands that a a team like this needs to be more transactional in order to get value wherever they can, since they're not going to have the monetary value to take advantage of those things. But I really hope that Pocolo, if he becomes the president of baseball operations, which I think he's going to be, that he hires a GM. I hope he doesn't try and do that combo job kind of a thing. I want a laid out plan, and I want a GM that can go execute it. And I want a GM that's from a team that has already done that sort of stuff, right? Because the Royals have not, they've never done this, okay? Go get yourself a GM who has implemented some of these data driven uh, decision making tactics or some of these dra- data driven development schemes. Find one or find an assistant GM that deserves to be a GM and then bring him in. And then what you really end up with, which is what I'm hoping for, is a great mesh between your president of baseball ops, your GM. They can even then go find another coach, a new coach together, who's going to do the same thing. So that's what I'm hoping ends up happening. Piccolo as baseball ops guy and a new GM that is on board with the, the vision of John Sherman and J.J. Piccolo. Yeah, I assume that
0: Piccolo is only staying on. On the condition that he be made head of baseball operations, otherwise, why would he decide to stay? If Sherman's just going to bring somebody else in over him, and he's going to be like, "Okay, now you are working for this guy," and this guy's going to decide whether or not you keep your job as GM. <laughs> like, I don't think Piccolo is going to put himself in that position. Maybe I am wrong, um, but I think I think Sherman wants Piccolo to take over. I think he has more faith in Piccolo to make the types of changes that need to be done, and I think I think Piccolo deserves a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that he is more willing to make those changes because he overhauled the Royals hitting development and that's gone so well because he has seemingly made decisions, been more transactional. I mean, we, they mentioned the um, trade for drew waters for the 32nd overall pick or whatever that they had in last year's in this year's draft. That's a move that I don't see Dayton Moore making at all. Like he just loves draft picks. He loves the drafting and scouting all that. I don't see him making that pick or that trade. I wonder as well, the same as you will Piccolo be more transactional. I think so. I think it was really more who sort of, I mean, if you look at his track record as Royals GM and then, you know, head of baseball operations or whatever, if you look at that track record, it is like defined by him overvaluing guys in his own system, such to the point where you could never make a trade with him. You know, every single year there was a list of guys who the Royals should be trading, that they didn't trade, and the reports were always, they wanted too much for this guy. They wanted too much for this guy. They like him way more than anybody else does. That was like a constant over the course of Moore's career. I I don't think it'll be the same way with Piccolo. I think that they're going to talk about the models that they use to value players, the models that they use to sort of project the team. I think they're going to be talking about a lot of those things throughout the course of the offseason and adjusting them, honestly, because I think Piccolo sees things a little bit differently than Dayton Moore did. The Royals have played their last home game at Kauffman, and it was a nuts one um, this (laughs) season. So they're on the road for the final nine with a series against Detroit, against the Detroit Tigers, the Cleveland Guardians, and then the Cleveland Guardians. Mike, tell us about the Tigers. Tell us about what they bring to the table. Are they scary? Are they not? Let us know.
1: They are not scary. They're not very good. I don't have their record (laughs) right in front of me right now. But it's not a good oh, sorry. one. Sorry, I forgot to put it on there. That's okay. No big deal. We've seen the Tigers so much this year. We know they're not very good. We don't have any probables from the Tigers, but it looks like the starting pitchers for the Royals are going to be Zach Granke, Daniel Lynch. Really interested to see that uh that pitching performance. It looks like Mark just uh, started doing his job. The Tigers are sixty and ninety two. Um, and then we should have John Heasley in that last game against the Tigers. The fact that I get to see Lynch and Heasley one more time, I'm really excited about those things. Uh, Back-to-back, he's even better. Um, Abysmal offensively, dead last in team weighted runs created plus for the Tigers at 80. So they're 20% below league average. Good for them. Uh, 22nd in team fielding independent pitching at 4.15. They've had a lot of injuries too. They've had some young guys come up that probably haven't performed to the level that they had hoped in uh, uh, Torkelson and was it Riley Green. Yeah, he's been okay, but not a superstar or anything like that. He's been okay-ish at times. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, they were hoping for more out of guys like that. And I think Casey Mize has come back, hasn't he? He was on pace to come back.
0: I'm not sure if he's pitching right now or not.
1: He'd been on the IL for most of the year, a lot of injuries, and then they're still holding on to Miguel Cabrera. I think he's probably done after this year. Um, but, yeah, so they're not a very good team. Hopefully we can rip off a few wins. Why not? Why not?
0: Um, after they face the worst team in this division, they'll go and face the best team in this division for a weird six-game series. They have the last six games against Cleveland in Cleveland. I don't know how this ended up happening. Somebody can probably explain it because they pay really, probably, it's really gotta be from to the. It's got to be team? from the lockout, right? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just know that they have six games to end the season against Cleveland, which is going to be... Weird, but I'm going to enjoy it anyway. Uh, Cleveland is 86 and
1: 67. If they have a six-man rotation, they won't, have, they won't have guys repeat in that series. But it'd be weird if they did. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. So Cleveland is leading the division at 86 and 67. Have a decent chance to get to 90 wins this year. They are 10th in baseball and team fielding and pitching at 3.82. A pretty good staff, a really good bullpen. They pitch very well, and that keeps them in a lot of games. They've actually outplayed their Pythagorean win-loss by three games this year, so they've gotten a little fortunate as well to score games in the right time, some opportunistic hitting and that sort of thing. They have a decent lineup with guys like Jose Ramirez and Andreas uh, Jimenez and Josh Naylor, just a bunch of solid to above-average guys, you know, uh, with Jose Ramirez sticking out as the maybe one real significant hitter in that lineup. Uh, their rotation also has some, some very solid players in it. Tristan McKenzie, Shane Bieber, of course. They're just a team full of like above-average players up and down the lineup in the rotation and the bullpen. They're a team that I think other teams won't want to face in the playoffs because they have such a good bullpen, because their rotation is pretty good, because nobody expects anything from them in the playoffs. Other teams are going to be like, oh man, they're going to come in here just like, raring to go with a who cares good pitching which wins in the playoffs <laughs> yeah with well, a mindset that's like who cares we're not supposed to be here anyway or who cares nobody thinks anything in the al central anyway and so we'll see how they do come playoff time but uh yeah a really good team here in cleveland we've played them a bunch already as well six more games left against them we'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our just a bit outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball mike Tell us what you got going on in the world. Hopefully it's super interesting.
1: (laughs) I don't know how interesting it is, but I thought I'd talk about it here in this forum because, you know, I'm a teacher and we've been talking about it as teachers and, and uh, my wife and I have been talking about it and our mom and I've talked about it. And so I thought I'm going to bring it up here because it's been on my mind a lot lately. And that's the idea of a teacher shortage. And I don't know if the listening public knows this, but there has been a teacher shortage in the country for quite a while now. Um, and it, with COVID happening, it was exacerbated as teaching became very different as a profession. Um, the way teachers were treated, you know, changed a little bit. And so basically teachers just were somehow got, yeah, worse. It got worse. Uh, and so p- teachers just started leaving at, at extremely high rates, not only retiring early or retiring, you know, when they can, cause a lot of teachers prior to that would just hang on for even longer. Um, but then teachers just getting out of the profession. I've I've personally known a handful of teachers, and I teach in a what is considered a very good district that just left, just got out of teaching completely. Um, and I will tell you this: it is something that every single teacher I've ever known has thought about. And it's weird because it used to be prior to COVID. It was like, well, you know, they don't pay us much, but at least the community supports us and respects us, right? We get help from parents a lot of times. uh, And when it comes to educating their kids or holding them accountable for certain things, well, that really changed in the last five years and then COVID like completely got rid of it. And so what I will say is there, it's a real problem. The Kansas City Star came out with an article a few weeks ago uh, describing it. And there are districts that are trying to do things like pay teachers more, but, and stuff like that, but they have to go to the communities for that. Some districts and communities just can't afford it. And so they're looking for the state of Missouri to do something state of Missouri, not very pro public education right now. And so they're not doing much to, to help the situation in any way. Um, There's sub shortages, there's teacher shortages. It's, it's going to get worse. And um, independence, for example, independent school district is considering going to a four day school week, not to save money to attract teachers. So think about that. Your kid could be in school less days because they can't get teachers to teach them. And that's, that's kind of sad. And so if you see ballot initiatives coming up, please support teachers. We are not out here to brainwash your kids. I don't give a shit what your kid thinks. Honestly. Um, I want them to learn. That's my job. I, I want them to learn the things I'm teaching them. Uh, but you know, it's it's the the, the disrespect that the teachers have been getting is wild to me considering the fact that they do a job that a lot of people just honestly really don't want to do um and so yeah support teachers that they uh not, i'm not just saying that as a teacher but you're not going to like it when they aren't there anymore <laughs> let me put it that way so uh yeah. support your teachers
0: i'm saying it as somebody who doesn't want to deal with your dumb ass kid growing <laughs> up to be a dumbass adult and so you know you know, support teachers in part because your kid needs to be a better person than they are right now as a five, six year old, which is understandable. You know, somebody's got to teach them how to be a grown up, and teachers are a big part of that. And so please support your teachers so that I don't have to deal with your kid growing up to be a dumbass. Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think that's a great, and go out and read these articles because the numbers on this teacher shortage are insane, right? Like insane. The number of teachers that are like leaving, gone, or the number of teachers that are needed that are not there. And some of the some of the things that school districts are doing to compensate for this are really bad. Like essentially giving – are you over the age of 18? You're a teacher now. Have you never done anything in your life? You want to come teach physics? You know, like stuff like that, which is bad, okay? You don't want that. You don't want – a state doesn't want to be the least educated state. It really, really hurts economically. Socially, politically, it hurts in so many different ways. And so go out, support public education as much as you possibly can. And for Lord's sake, I'll be political if Mike won't. Vote for people who do support public education. Because I don't want to live in a state full of dumbasses. Please <laughs> do that. I'm a little more edgy than Mike. I'm okay with it. Just go support people who support teachers, okay? Um, and I'm not a teacher, so I, can, I have no bias. and I have no dog in this fight. Um, I'm talking about another thing that's, uh, interested to me. I had to sort of think about, well, what am I going to talk about this week? And I, my mind went back to a thing that Mike and I, or that I did during a football practice the other day, Mike, uh, Mike was gracious enough to let me help coach on the team that he coaches. And so I was at practice the other day and we have a ton of players, way too many. And, uh, we're trying to get them all wrangled and it's rainy outside. So we can't practice outside and everything. And so we're all sitting in this like commons area. And kids are kids. They're messing around. They're being loud and all this sort of stuff. I tell them all to be silent, right? And then I frame it as like, hey, we're practicing our discipline by being silent. And everybody was like, okay. They viewed it as sort of a challenge. And they started actually staying silent for a significant stretch of time. And it got me thinking as I was walking by silently uh, how actually beneficial it is to practice silence frequently every once in a while, just for everybody, you know? Practicing being silent, being comfortable in that silence, utilizing that silence and understanding silence is actually really, really valuable. They teach it sometimes in like meditation classes and things like that, mindfulness and things. Um, Silence is actually a very useful part of our human experience. And I wish more people saw it as such, you know we kind of live in a world where like Mike and I, people are talking and there's, you can hear voices all the time. You can hear something. We need stimulus 24 seven. Some silence is actually goes a long way in helping you develop an internal dialogue an internal monologue, a thing that you can sort of, where you can sort of think things through and be a patient and at rest. The more you can be comfortable being silent for long stretches, the more you can be comfortable with your own thoughts, I think. And, And I'm just trying to sort of stress that to, to the kids and get them to understand like, Hey, silence is not necessarily a bad thing. You don't have to be talking to somebody all the time. You don't have to be listening to music all the time or whatever. Sometimes it's good to just spend five minutes silent with yourself and your thoughts. So give it a try. If you haven't spent a lot of time silent, give it a shot.
1: I really like practicing silence in the car. Yeah. Like I remember one time when you lived in Virginia, I drove out there and I think I listened to something for like the first couple hours. And this was a, like basically a 16, 17 hour drive. I think for like two hours, I listened to something the rest of the time, complete silence in the car. Cause I made the drive by myself uh, and I did it all in one day. And I, I, I just really like that. I like the silence in the car. I really do. Um, probably because my mind does wander and I start to think about other things and dream. I like dream about stuff, you know, if that makes sense uh, in the car. And so I, I do a lot of silent car riding. Almost exclusively, actually. I, I rarely listen to things in the car, um, but I enjoy that.
0: Yeah, I give, I do. Uh, virtually every day when I drive home from that football practice, it's 30 minutes of silence in the car for me, right? Like that gives me a chance to sort of reflect on what just took place and reflect on my day and, you know, maybe imagine the future and how it might look. It's like you create like um, what are called, oh, I forget what the guy calls them, but you create like image schema for the future like guides for yourself to sort of have success moving forward. And so, yeah, I love the idea of just spending some time not talking, not having visual stimulus, not having auditory stimulus, and just sort of being silent, just being. That's a very calming thought, right? As we revel in a chief's loss (laughs) that really was just the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, But anyway, uh, we'll be back again next week. Hopefully the Royals will continue the hot streak that they're on right now. We'll continue with our making of podcasts until then subscribe rate review, follow us on all the social medias. We'll really appreciate it. We'll tune back in next week until then be good to each other
1: and go Royals.